0: This is Rising Up at Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on free speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The first anniversary of the January 6th, 2021 insurrection was marked by supporters of Donald Trump, showing up in meager numbers at the nation's capital. And while there is a major federal investigation underway, as well as a House Select Committee investigation, little has been done to examine the roots of the insurrection. My guest Arun Gupta writes in Raw Story, quote, the sight of violent Trump supporters invading the capital a year ago may have been shocking, but it was not surprising. It was the direct result of the government allowing right-wing political violence to smolder for years until it burst into a Configuration on January 6th. Arun Gupta is an investigative journalist who has written for The Washington Post, The Nation, Raw Story, The Guardian, and Jacobin. He's also a regular news correspondent for Rising Up with Sonali. Welcome back, Arun.
1: Good to be with you, Sonali.
0: So, first, uh, you went to the Capitol last week on January 6th. What did you see there?
1: There were only a few Trump supporters that day because the chatter uh, on social media was any big event was an FBI trap. There's a lot of paranoia post uh, January 6th, a year later, because something like over 700 people have been uh, charged at this point. So it was a dozen or so uh, supporters. Nearly everyone I talked to was in the crowd of insurrectionists uh, uh, last year. No one admitted to going into the Capitol, Uh, so they were there just kind of to bear witness. Uh, There was also – I attended a vigil. Uh, outside the jail that included the mother of Ashley Babbitt. She's the Air Force veteran who was shot and killed as she was trying to climb through the broken window in in the Capitol, which was the only barrier between her and members of the House of Congress. And the officer who shot her claimed uh, that he warned her, and in the videos you can see it appears that he is warning her. Uh, before she still keeps going forward and he shoots her. And so th- there was that small vigil, and that's where I uh, spent a good bit of time uh, talking to the Trump supporters, or as, or as I put it frankly, Trump cultists, uh, because there is really just no difference uh, now between uh, these people and a cult
0: the uh, pronouncements from the media, from members of Congress, from commentators of calling this an insurrection, many calling it an attempted coup, uh, but not perhaps going far enough. What, What do you make of how mainstream American punditry has looked back on the January 6th riot?
1: Well, you know, first, if we go back a year ago, they completely missed every single uh, warning sign was was going off, and they missed it. There were also uh, quite a few journalists who were warning, "This is of what is coming." Um, A year. From now, I think, yeah, sure. There's a lot of discussion of the cases and the threat to democracy. One of the things that's striking to me is though how the narrative of this being a white supremacist, a white nationalist coup, uh, has been, has pretty much uh, disappeared for from the coverage. Um, because we have to remember in all sorts of ways, it was just thoroughly white nationalists. I mean, I don't think there's any question anymore that Donald Trump is a white nationalist. There are people carrying uh, Confederate flags uh, using the N-words, the, the noose, um, you know, just the whole kind of atmosphere of it there. There were white nationalists uh, among the insurrectionists. But also, just kind of the broader ideology, you know, Trump yelling uh, take back our country, and this idea that for white people, they own these institutions, that they can use violence uh, to take these institutions. And that, I think, is completely missing from the mainstream uh, media narrative. I think there's also just really um, a poor discussion of uh, the uh, sentencing and the, the prosecution, and in fact you see kind of a lot of knee-jerk uh, defense of what America uh, Garland and the Justice Department is doing. Because as you know, Sonali, I've been covering uh, these type of uh, terrorism cases for a long time, including against Muslims and left-wingers like uh, anarchists, uh, environmental activists, and we see repeatedly, especially in the post 9 11 framework, that the most minor acts, often just talking, will land people with terrorism enhancement charges. And I think, on the one hand, these laws need to be swept away, uh, you know, because they're just used uh, in such a repressive manner. But I think it's interesting now that we're seeing no terrorism enhancement charges, and you're even seeing judges like pushing the government uh, saying, you know, the prosecutors you, telling them you're saying that this is a great threat to democracy. And yet most of the people so far, the low level cases, they haven't served any time at all. They've and they're been being charged off.
0: with misdemeanors, right? And and the, exactly. the longest sentence yeah. is like five, one guy got five years.
1: Right. And and but you know, the the argument is like, oh, Garland's trying to uh, dispose of the easy cases and that that's just a load of hooey. Because the whole point is you use just the threat, the cudgel. We're going to hit you with terrorism enhancement charges, which uh carry a 10 to 20-year minimum uh, in a lot of cases, or you plead guilty to the sentence of three years and five years. You don't have to bring these complex cases. But a lot of people are walking away. And we saw this from the beginning, you know, where the Q shaman, Jacob and Uh, Ainsley, he was given an organic food diet, which is just so absurd. You know, you have Muslim prisoners in the U.S. uh, federal system, particularly within ICE, who are being forced to eat pork. And this guy has this fake religion, and he's being allowed to have organic food, or you have, uh, I believe it was um, the real estate, uh, the realtor who is allowed to go on a vacation in Mexico. I mean, you know, the thing is this is just thoroughly saturated with white supremacy and and white privilege, even the prosecution. And that's, I think one of the things. You know, that again, that's another kind of narrative thread that has uh, been lost. Just the incredible number of warnings every single police force knew this was coming the FBI warned a day before the capital before the insurrection there's going to be a war at the Capitol DHS knew all these specifics that there were Trump supporters talking about we're going to show up in overwhelmed armed numbers and they were sharing maps of the tunnel system on their message uh, boards the Capitol police knew all this um, fusion centers again something that needs to be eliminated there were something like 80 of them set up after 9-11 these are basically where they bring together all these federal local and state law enforcement agencies to share information and there are 80 around the entire country and they had a call four days ago uh be- four days before january 6 where th- officials who were on the call saying like they were just shocked they expected a couple of dozen uh, people security officials to get on the call 300 got on the call they were getting warning signs from everywhere yet there was no one at at um, I mean you just had this thin police line and of course we had the various invasions of state capitals in Idaho in Oregon in Michigan You know, what happened in Virginia with all those gun nuts showing up, you know, and what did they learn from that? That led up to January 6th. The right wing learned from that, that they could invade a capital violently, threaten lawmakers, and walk away uh, scot-free. And so I think there's a failure again to just really talk about not just the security failures. There were no intelligence failures because they knew, but how thoroughly white supremacist uh this this country is and the the last thing in terms of that narrative thread is what the right has done in the last year and we see the proud boys and other extremists moving into all these school school board battles all the anti-critical race theory so after we have this white supremacist white nationalist coup the extreme right which is now the mainstream of the Republican Party, has been on the offensive saying teaching racism is the real racism. And yet we don't have a media that is able to put together an understanding of the, of how this works.
0: Let's talk about the roots of the January 6th riot going back. Um, You, as you mentioned, have been covering white supremacist um, groupings and organizing for a long time. And I remember, I think we had you on our program when you went um, to cover the standoff in uh, Oregon of the Bundys, Uh, Amon Bundy and Amon Bundy. Eamon uh, Bundy and
1: Ryan Bundy and
0: Ryan Bundy and and you write in raw story that the that that's where you sort of can trace back in most recent history, the roots of the January 6th ride. So take us on that thread. How do you make those links.
1: So the Bundy's first come to prominence in 2014 with the standoff in Nevada with their father Clive and Bundy over he had been illegally grazing his cattle on federal land for over 20 years. He had racked up $1.2 million in grazing fees. And if we remember, you know, uh, these fees are also heavily subsidized. Uh, The Bureau of Land Management fees are typically one eighth of what it would cost, uh, what it would have cost him to do it on private land. So there were numerous court and. Uh, orders against him. The guy is a brazen criminal. They try and uh, round up his cattle because he won't pay the fees. And he calls for a range war and wants militias to come defend him. Now, this is 2014. You had seen this explosive growth in militias and hate groups over the last five years leading up to this. And what happened in the last five years? America's first black president. So, this is where we first start to see this, um, these forces coalesce uh, openly uh, violent militias and white nationalists. And the thing again, this is something that I don't think was very well articulated. There, there were those writers like Jacqueline uh, Keller at uh, Indian Country Today, um, who who wrote about you know that this this kind of like anti-Indian uh, and racist sentiment motivating the Bundys. Cliven Bundy claimed he had ancestral rights to the land, which, when you think about it, that's pretty bizarre. This white guy whose family has only been there um, less than a century is claiming he has ancestral rights, whereas the Shoshone Nation actually has active treaty claims to nearly all of Nevada and to the land that Bundy is on. So he's bringing together all these militiamen, including from groups like the Three Percenters and Oath Keepers, which have these violent white nationalist ideologies motivating them. And they were two of the main forces in January 6th. And so basically they get into a standoff with federal agents, they surround them with snipers, and they're able to walk away scot-free. And the lesson they took away the clear lesson was you can violently threaten the government and not only get away, you can actually make political gains. And so what happened over the next few years is the Bundys and these various militias kept trying to provoke violent confrontations with the governments and a mine in Southern Oregon and a mine in Montana over federal lands in Utah before they finally get their next uh, big hit with the takeover of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in Eastern Oregon which was going on exactly six years ago at this time and so again they're able to use violence they come in on January 2nd 2016 Eamon and Ryan Bundy with all these guns they take over the wildlife refuge they're they're demanding that this land be turned over to local governments I was out there for the last week and I sat in Ryan Bundy's pickup trucks for two hours as I got a lecture on, uh, as he gave me a lecture on his fringe interpretation of the Constitution, which is uh, uh, this uh, kind of, you know, just bizarre um, ideas that has a hold among a sect of Mormons and right wingers. And the Bundys are, are these kind of fringe Mormon groups. And it's basically that the federal government can own no land and all the power resides at the local level. And at one point, <laughs> as Ryan Blundy is explaining what they're trying to do, I say to him, you're trying to overthrow the federal government. You're trying to start a revolution. And he just goes silent. He didn't deny it because it was clear what they were trying to do. And it's it's very much this kind of like cowboy revolt, but it's very white nationalist because it is about white people taking the land and doing what they want with it. Um, and so, they take it over, they're arrested, they go through multiple court cases where the government completely screws them up Uh, In in one case, the Nevada case, uh, a judge uh, dismisses it with prejudice, meaning charges cannot be brought again because of prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, The Bundys are acquitted in the uh, Oregon case. That's more complicated. But if you start to look into it, it's again, it's it's how white supremacism infects our society. And the jury had on it a bunch of rural gun owners and one juror who was kicked off because he wouldn't convict them. That's what he claims. He said that the jurors wanted a confession signed in blood, um, that they were looking for this incredibly high bar to pass, which wasn't going to happen. And so once again, what we have is the Bundys and their supporters take away that they can get away with this violence. Now, the interesting coda to this is uh, Eamon Bundy in particular has started this People's Rights Network uh, that has been agitating against public health measures. He was involved in an invasion of the Idaho State Capitol uh, last August. And he called for his supporters to go join the. To stop the steal and to invade their own state capitals on January 6th. So we can very much trace the roots back to the Bundys. And if the government had actually taken forceful action, it still hasn't acted against Clive and Bundy. It could bring all sorts of other charges against him, but it hasn't. He's still out there grazing his cattle illegally. You know, we have to remember that these right-wing groups are basically mafias and they need to be treated as such.
0: So you have this uh, white supremacist justice system, basically, right, <laughs> that uh, may, was made perhaps even more white supremacist when Donald Trump um, confirmed a record number of conservative judges. And also, I want to pick up finally on what you were saying about how the what was once considered mm. just in 2014, the fringe of the conservative movement in the United States has become an affected the mainstream of the Republican Party. You saw uh, recently Senator Ted Cruz uh, on January 6th last week calling the Insurrection a Terrorist Act and then going on and So, uh, you know, embarrassing for him, basically apologizing to Tucker Carlson the next day on Fox News, begging for forgiveness, practically, um, for having dared to call the insurrectionists um, akin to terrorists. So this is the end goal now, right? When you infect the Republican Party with this kind of politicking, this kind of politics, um, you do start to see the Eamon Bundys. uh, it, It wouldn't be so shocking if someone like Bundy ran for office and won.
1: Well, uh, both Bundy, uh, so Ryan Bundy has run for governor of Idaho. Eamon Bundy right now is, or sorry, uh, Ryan Bundy ran for governor of Nevada. Eamon Bundy right now is running for governor of Idaho. Um, I I think it's probably unlikely, Ryan Bundy was just completely trounced. He got, I think, just a few percent. I think it's unlikely Eamon Bundy is is going to win. Uh, These guys aren't uh, politicians, they're zealots, but the effect has been to if, Uh, infect the mainstream of the Republican Party with this virus of extremism and violence. We we see these polls coming out very recently, saying up to 40 percent of the Republican base supports terrorism. In other words, violence for political ends. We see it infecting the halls of Congress. You know, Paul Gosar tweeting that video, that anime video of him killing Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, um, uh, Bobert, uh, Representative Bobert. Uh, by uh, labeling, you know, talking about Ilan Omar that she's a, a terrorist, so the violence has very much moved into the Republican Party, and then we see, you know, King Tucker, um, I, you know, who is very, very much um, vying for leadership of the Republican Party or, or of this extremist cult, along with Donald Trump who promotes the great replacement theory, the idea that white, the white people are being replaced by these savage brown hordes that are flooding across our border. And the response to that is, is of course, violence. So I think we're in a very dangerous movement. I, I think fears of civil war are ahistorical and overblown um, because there's no economic battle. We have to remember slavery was about this massive economic system that the South derived its wealth from. But I think America looks like it's headed for a years of lead, which people should read up on. That's a period in Italy in the 70s and 80s where there was all this political violence, especially coming from the extreme right and state actors. It was often um, uh, made to look like it was coming from the left, and there was some left-wing violence, but it was far and away right-wing terrorism. So I think we're going to see low-level terrorist attacks, bombings, assassinations. Um, it doesn't look good unless the left can put articulate a clear, compelling vision for social justice and liberation against this right-wing fascistic vision.
0: Arun, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We'll post a link to your work in Raw Story for our audience to be able to access directly. Thank you so much for all your work and for joining us.
1: Thank you, Sonali.
0: My guest has been Arun Gupta. He's an investigative journalist who's written for the Washington Post, The Nation, The Guardian, and Jacobin, and he's also a regular news correspondent for Rising Up with Sonali. He's written three recent stories for Raw Story about the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. Three more are coming. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali. Bali.